Everyone, I think, is anticipating the, the hearing that's happening on um, 
uh, Friday. This, this coming Friday, September 1st, in Washington, D.C., and that'll be very interesting. I think a lot of people have expressed concern that uh, Imran has only been charged with bank fraud, and of course his crimes uh, exceed that and are you know much more serious than that. The, the big the big worry, of course, is that this is all being manipulated such that Imran receives essentially a slap on the wrist or a very minimal charge for a for a financial crime and is sent back to. Uh, Pakistan, and that sort of ends the whole investigation, and everything goes back to business as usual, which would be terrible. Right, right, right. And we know that Tina Halby, in March, uh, fled the U.S. to Pakistan, and in fact was stopped at Dulles Airport and found with $12,000 in cash, which was illegal because you have to declare anything that's over 10000 and she had not declared that money. And it has been reported by True Pundit that it was James Comey and Andrew McCabe that intervened to allow her to leave. Yeah. Really? Yeah. 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 And I, I think it's important that we uh, mention, obviously, a lot of people who listen to your show also listen to our show and listen to the George Webb investigation, which is, you know, playing out every day on YouTube. Right. I certainly don't want to rehash this, but uh, just based on the introduction, I think we should make it clear to any listeners who maybe aren't following that we've sort of moved in a slightly different direction from George. We still fully support his investigation and follow his work. But, uh, you know, of course, George felt the need to focus in the way that he does. And, you know, We've been making efforts to more clearly define the purpose of crowdsource the truth. And it, it wasn't just to focus on the Iwan brothers or one particular journalist's investigation. One thing that we've really been focusing on over the past two weeks is bringing in more members of the crowdsource community like yourself, Evelyn. Of course, you're an investigator and a journalist and a radio show host, and we did a simulcast with you last week. I hope we'll be able to do more of those in the future. I think that was a nice thing to do. And we've been bringing in more members of the crowdsourced community. Uh, in some cases, people who want to protect their identities are adopting code names, and, and they're almost like characters. Uh, people like Queen Tut, who's been really focused on exposing fraud, particularly Robert David Steele and his unrigged campaign. We've brought in uh, international community. So far, we've got King James, who's an individual in Canada who has a lot of military contacts and is just a very knowledgeable individual who has always you know, shared the same kind of feelings about corruption and wanting to uh, make some kind of an effort. And what we really Mr. hope... Mr. Hudson, too. Oh, of course. So Mr. Hudson, yes, absolutely. Experienced intelligence professionals like him. And, of course, Mr. Hudson was initially introduced to me in the course of the investigation with uh, George Webb. But, you know, transitioning someone from an experienced military veteran and intelligence uh, community person into a radio personality or someone that can appear in a video and be comfortable presenting that information in a, in a more public manner took quite a bit of doing. It involved obviously establishing trust and, right. uh, and, and getting, in the case of Mr. Hudson, of course, developing that character, developing that persona so that he could have an avenue through which 
to share the information. And, and I did it primarily because, you know, Crowdsource the Truth is a new type of news agency. And it was a real bottleneck initially for me to have these kind of, uh, you know, intelligence assessment phone calls with someone like Mr. Hudson, store all that information, parse all that information, you know, report on it accurately and get it out in a timely fashion. And, you know, we have other sources as well, lots of people who are coming to us who, uh, you know, not many are as... From the FBI, we have Michael McLean now who has come forward from the FBI. I think one of the things that, you know, what Jason is talking about, Evelyn, and we've discussed this, is helping whistleblowers and journalists have platforms to come forward so as to protect them with lots of eyes. I mean, that's where our strength lies, is in our numbers. And we have no hope without large numbers in our favor here. So this has been a concerted effort to not only help people like George Webb get his story out, which is so important, but there are so many other people who are tied into this. For example, Charles Ortel, Wall Street analyst, world-renowned, has spent three years studying the Clinton Foundation financial documents and all kinds of public information about them, and he's uncovered some really interesting uh, data points that show that the foundation has been operating illegally um, in Massachusetts alone from 2008 to 2012, and yet these other um, organizations were donating money to this foundation that was not permitted to be operating. So, you know, Charles has some really powerful information to bring forward, but again, he's one person and he's doing a lot of great research, but when we can bring the, the... the numbers from the crowdsource community to bear upon some data that he brings forward, you know, we it makes us so much more powerful. And that's why, you know, we so appreciate being able to join you here because the more we share what each other um, knows, the, the better shot we have at succeeding. So Yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, everything Trish just said is right on. And, you know, again, it's, we're not trying to be... Uh, the top investigators in the world. We're not trying to be in competition with any of these people or, you know, obviously we want to bring everyone together. And in the case of Charles, you know, obviously I've got many people who have watched uh, the show know that I've got experience in, in production and in graphics and in digital media. And so if we can help Charles have a, uh, an easy to access platform, I mean, obviously Charles appears on lots and lots of different uh, programs, RT and Fox, and certainly he's appeared with Lionel many, many times. But, you know, part of the goal also of Crowdsource the Truth is to utilize social media and, you know, what, what uh, Lionel, of course, of Lionel Nation called the synergy of investigative journalism, social media, and reality television. And when we can give someone like Charles Ortel a regular platform where, you know, if I can create graphics from data that he has that makes his information more accessible to the general public or gives him a regular outlet where he can spend an hour instead of a six-minute segment or whatever, and he can be presented in a way that's uh, beyond just a face on a Skype camera, I think that that really uh, gives the message some some additional power and can really help us come together in the way that Eric Braverman said, 
when Trish and I went to Oxford to hear him speak. And I, I mean, I, I, I hope people don't get bored with me coming back to that all the time, but it was, in my view, such a pivotal moment in that it really brought, you know, George's research together with the reality television aspect of it, because we went there. I mean, we saw Eric Raymond walk in the room, and that was, and when we, you know, when we say reality television, we don't mean like, you know, uh, Trish, George, and I living in an apartment and fighting with each other and having that be a show. We're talking about what's really happening. Reality television doesn't have to be fake, you know, manufactured drama. It's it's the reality, and we're bringing it to people on the Internet. So by following Mr. Braverman's advice and utilizing social media technology to bring Charles Ortel together with the Becks, as we did in one program, or tonight to bring, uh, we're going to have Elizabeth Beck back with us, and another member of the crowdsource community, a, a legal consultant, a lawyer who we've worked with for some months now, who uh, is going by the code name Legal Fish. And, you know, we're going to bring together these legal perspectives to help the people watching, the members of the crowdsource community, to understand the details, the nuances, the complexities of exactly what happened with this DNC fraud lawsuit and exactly what happened today when George Webb went and filed his uh, intervention documents for the Imran Awan uh, hearing. I mean, these are, these are very important. Well, I mean, again, I'm not necessarily qualified to speak too much about that because I'm not a lawyer and I wasn't involved. Uh, George's brother, Dave Acton, has recently been making videos calling out to me, which was, you know, quite a ch- I mean, speaks to the reality television aspect of it. <laughs> right. Dave Acton had previously been making videos saying he wanted to kill me in the firing line, which I thought was a questionable, uh, a questionable line to go down. But... Um, now he was saying that he felt that there is some way that I could help George. And certainly I'm interested in helping George uh, eliminate crime and criminals from the government. I, I, I've only ever been interested in helping George. There are many people who claim that I somehow took advantage of him in order to gain subscribers. <laughs> and I don't want to harp on that. Sorry, Chris. Oh, but, right. You know, right. You know, I mean, that, I, that needs to be put set out, out, you know, He set out to create a news agency, Evelyn. And, of course, it's right. a business. It's not a charity. And I've got limited resources. So even though I have been financing this as a startup company, as an investment for me, the goal is to make it a community-funded endeavor because I inherently believe that corporate-owned, advertiser-driven news outlets could never be honest with the people who it's bringing news to. It's got to be free of advertising, and we've seen this happening on YouTube. You know, we, we don't monetize our channel on YouTube because I don't want to give YouTube the power to manipulate the source of funding and therefore manipulate the news that we're able to share. As a community, well, they've done that. Lately, they have done, done that. that. They have not. Oh you yeah. Know, good YouTube Well, not channel. to us. Not to us. They haven't been able to do that to crowdsource the truth right. because we don't rely on on YouTube monetization. But you know, a lot of people get the misconception that we're in this just for money. And although we've had generous sponsors, it hasn't been lots of money. I mean, this has been definitely a financial uh, expenditure and an investment. And it's, you know, something that we're committed to and that I'm committed to financially. But I think that people that but are... But eventually the money runs out and you got to, I mean, we can... Well, not even, not even a question, it's not even a question of the money eventually running out. To be quite clear, you know, the travel that we've done, the living in New York City, the support of everything that we're doing in terms of media production. Well, I mean, our personal ability to contribute. Right, to that's right, right. Our personal well, ability to foot those bills is limited. Yeah. 
So, but on the but on the um, uh, intervener, um, I, I've heard. So, this is a very unusual move, and there is a there is a lot. It's highly esoteric, and there's a lot of confusion around how it's done appropriately. And though Dave Acton reached out to us to work with, you know, and George simultaneously to work together on this um, and, and urge George to go forward. He then turned around and said, no, 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 don't file it. And, and there's some question about, I guess George also has in that, um, in this, I, and the other thing is that I don't believe it's a filing. It's, it's something else. So it has to be served and um, right. So there's some, and that's what we're trying, we're hoping we can get a lot of these questions answered when we have Elizabeth on tonight. But so there's, there are those questions. And then um, the way that the, the way that the intervener works is that if you can show that you're an interested party in the proceeding, um, and this would be, it's most often used for regulatory work, apparently. Right. So someone who owned land in an area where there was some, um, something, a project underway, you could say, look, that's part of my land. You know, I have uh, status here. So, but apparently right. from we're what talking about, so my listeners saying, notice, we're talking about intervening in the Imran-Iran um, criminal case. Right. Yes, yes, the bank fraud right. case on Friday, right. for which there is a hearing on Friday. Correct. Right. And the basic and premise sure. is that there's critical evidence that wasn't in the charge. So intervening right. to share evidence with the judge and expand the scope of what he's being prosecuted for. Right. Right. So, this bank but, fraud is um, nothing, you know. And and that's why when I start the show, I always include everything about the rat lines because I want listeners to understand what we're really looking at here, what we have to stop, you know. And when we get into the the legal technicalities of the case and and what they're charged with and everything like this, it doesn't it doesn't go into any of this. What is really going right. on here? Well, the uh, other thing, Evelyn, while there is some uh, confusion about Steve Wasserman's role in this case. Um, right. He is, in fact, not directly involved in Imran Awan's case. However, he tweeted out a, a um, Washington Post uh, piece about how this whole case against Imran Awan is a nothing burger, which shows yeah. very clearly yeah, while he intends to influence the outcome. Which is right. not that, only that, an eth- ethical violation, it's illegal. I mean, he, so there is every reason to be concerned about the fact that he serves in that um, a, that U.S. Attorney's Office. So, And you saw perhaps that um, the DNC fraud lawsuit was dismissed despite the judge acknowledging that, in fact, the DNC um, you know, it had did not carry out an impartial uh, primary. So it, it just, you know, you see, and I think probably what happened with that guy is he was trying to dodge a bullet, like quite literally, and <laughs> didn't know how to get out of this with, you know, with his life intact. I, well, I honestly believe it's an that. Interesting, it's an interesting possibility for sure. I mean, I always like to listen to exactly what people say. And, you right. know, uh, to Trisha's point, when we heard 
uh, July 2016, yep. James Comey, say yeah. no sensible prosecutor would bring charges. That's not the same <laughs> as no crime was committed. That's just saying exactly. anybody who doesn't want to get killed isn't going to prosecute this. So uh, it's going to be interesting to get the legal perspective of our two guests tonight at 7 o'clock when we explore this. And, you know, I don't know the answers to most of these questions. I'm, I'm pleased, you know, Trish, you really have been obviously looking into all this stuff. And, uh, you know, these will be great questions to ask later tonight. Well, I'm, I'm, my understanding is that the, the, the decision, the, um, the motion to dismiss was made without prejudice, was granted without prejudice, which means that there's an opportunity for the civil action to go forward in a different way. So that's what we're going to hope to find out from Elizabeth back tonight because, yeah. um, and, and you know, praise be to them for hanging in there with this. I mean, you know, right. we've talked about the three attorneys in the Miami district where Debbie Wasserman Schultz represents the, the voters and where Jared and Elizabeth Beck um, live and are, you know, and, and ha I'm sorry, uh, where this case is being um, prosecuted. So it's just, you know, the, and Barrington Weisman, we also talked about how his death, though he was shot in the back of the head, was ruled a suicide. Well, here's an in interesting little side note. Here's a little side note on that, Trish. You know, uh, everyone, people who have been watching our program uh, are aware that, again, another member of the crowdsource community that's come forward and really joined the team and stepped up is, is Joe Napoli. And uh, Joe is an executive recruiter on the West Coast. So, you know, people are looking to be hired. They can contact Joe. Also, if you want information about, uh, you know, rat lines running through the ports, Joe is becoming an expert on that. And Joe also took it upon himself to reach out to the Broward County Medical Examiner's Office to try to find the uh, autopsy report for Barrington Wiseman. And he just told me today that he spoke to their office. He, before he left for a family vacation, Joe had requested a copy of that and was told that it was being sent to me here in New York City. And that was two weeks ago, and I still don't have it. So Joe contacted the uh, medical examiner's office today, and they told him that they can't find any record of it being sent to New York. And then the woman on the phone said, I'm quoting Joe's text to me, she said, you're welcome, but why are you asking for this, dot, 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 be safe. So that's very interesting oh, wow. and ominous text. Why is, we beat that again, <laughs> no kidding. Repeat that again. What did he say? Joe was Joe was inquiring about why we haven't received the copy of the autopsy report yet, and the woman on the phone asked why he's asking for it and suggested that he be safe. He be safe. So people, right. People, right. people seem to be aware that this is just the kind of thing that, you know, you shouldn't be... Get the person killed. Yeah. Well, this shouldn't is the thing, for real, that this, this is what I meant before when I was saying that people are getting killed... Every week, and right out in the open, yeah. and nothing gets done about it. You know, and yeah, still don't and know how this person even saying that. You know, be safe yeah. because you're asking for this. Investigators asking for this information to validate these fake suicides with gun holes in the right. back of their head. Right. That's right. Right. Well, and um, Evelyn, another member that of the crossroads community, Queen Cut 
had uncovered. Um, and this is, you know, there's all these little sub operations going on around yeah. the major operations that are being used as distractions. And one of them are these false flag operations, which we're seeing sure. they're, they're staged operations where people can and are often injured and killed for real. Yeah. But they're right. staged right. and right. they're meant to incite violence and chaos. And yeah. we are seeing yeah. more and more evidence that, in fact, Charlottesville was one such operation. The Charger, the car, was sure. allowed to drive away past police after it had been involved in a fatal accident. Just casually right. drives away. We found out the maroon minivan that was involved had been scrapped. Based on the VIN, someone had very, you know, cleverly gotten the license plate, ran it, got the VIN, and they discovered this had been, this was a vehicle that had been previously scrapped, sold for scrap. Mm -hmm. And so there are lots of other uh, aspects of that, and so that's one. But then there's this whole Robert David Steele mm -hmm. operation going on with UNRIG, and what Queen Tut uncovered was that, you know, Robert David Steele has been taking credit for writing the um, electoral reform um, plan that well, it, woman... The the open source, uh, the open source intelligence separate. manual and also fraudulently claiming that he was going to have Rand Paul's office help him write a uh, uh, an act a or bill, a bill yeah. that would become an act for election reform and I mean neither of which were he right. and Queen Tut contacted the NATO the the general who was in charge of writing that open source um, intelligence document and he wrote back to Queen Tut and said no one by the name of Robert David Steele was involved in this effort whatsoever. Yeah. And see, this is what's so awful. You know, like Pardon? you have him on the show, we take these sources, you get him in, and, and he's going around, he's on talk shows and things. You have him on, and then you find out that, you know, that, that he's fraudulent and things, you know. Right. And, and so your, your methods of vetting these sources, you know, has got to be very difficult. Well, of course, but when you, I mean, you know, we never know. It's, how are people vetting Robert David Steele? Well, simply put, I mean, you know, we had Robert David Steele on our show, and I, I thought he was a great guy. I had seen him on the Internet. I had seen him on various independent news channels, and, you know, he came on. He uh, raised a bunch of money from our community, and then within a day or two, he started making harassing phone calls and threats. Very directly, threatening, yeah. Directly to me, and, uh, right. you know, doing, uh, you know, committing civil torts. Just very strangely. It was very, very strange, the whole thing. And yeah. it turns out, it looks like this is a, another way of diverting resources and energy into a, you know, um, fruitless effort that for which there will be no um, objective outcome. I mean, they, they don't have a bill drafted. No, no, there's nothing, nothing that's legitimate about what they're doing. And it's really, it's frustrating because you have to sort of fumble your way through these and find them, you trip over them, you know, as you go along. And so thankfully we have these people who are, you know, it, 
able to do the work because we can't do it all ourselves, certainly. Yeah. And that and then, was the thing when I seen that, when I watched that video, um, finding out that he puts that right in his bio and everything. Yeah. And he wrote that to help write that book and everything right out there in the open. And, you know, I never liked that guy from day one. I mean, before I ever knew anything of you people. Um, from day one, I never liked him. I, I don't know. Maybe it's my counseling skills. I was a counselor for 13 yeah, years. But yeah, yeah. Just you watching him. I just never liked him. <laughs> the and then he was on yeah. your show, you know, and you would really get about ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 in that hour, for yeah. God's sake. Yeah. And do you know the yeah. next yeah. day, I almost donated some just because I thought, yeah. well, he must be I real. You're wrong, Edward, you know. Well, I did. I did. I did. And Joe Napoli did. And that's that's yeah. the thing that brought everybody together on it. I mean, we, we don't yeah. want to harp on this so much because obviously Robert David Steele is not the most important thing going on. But when we look at the tactics, when we look at the techniques, when we look at the, you know, things that have happened now, you know, the, the uh, this morning I saw our old friend uh, DeFango is back to putting defaming tweets about me. Uh, oh, boy. And, I, I, you know, I was trying to be uh, conciliatory towards him and there does seem to be a strange connection between Robert David Steele and him that when we start going on the uh, sort of offense against Robert David Steele and his fraud he comes out and of yeah. course uh, Kim.com went and said that he's going to start financially supporting uh, whistleblowers and truth seekers and independent news agencies and I, I had to respond seeing you know, the same guys that align, you know, we had some activity coming from Defango and Kim.com when Trish and George and I first came together to release right. those files. The same characters popped up and started That's creating right. all kinds of trouble for us. So right. I had to right. uh, say, Kim.com, are you talking about the same way that you supported us by uh, by sucking out the monetization. You know, he, he did something very tricky where he inserted a, a music video. He sent me a music video and we had asked him for some clues. George was asking for some clues and some evidence regarding his involvement with Seth Rich. So he emailed me a music video, which is, as far as I can tell, totally unrelated to anything to do with Seth Rich. But of course, when I played that during our live broadcast, it was his copyrighted music video, and it caused our whole entire video to be monetized to his benefit. And I didn't realize until after we had 44,000 views. So okay, I found this to be very the, tricky. Yeah, and he's also the guy who said he could prove that Seth Rich was the WikiLeaks whistleblower, and then nothing happened. Right. It just seems like he's, you know, a big a, a tempest in a teapot that's thrown out, you know, whenever there needs to be a distraction. And it's important to be able to recognize these because, you know, again, it's also complicated. We have the CIA running their covert operations, then the FBI is running their covert operations, then they each have their official operations, and then there's the international firing part. And while yeah. we think that, you know, David, it appears that it's David Petraeus who put that spy ring together. And, and so then... So you right at the top, David Petraeus is the one that... He's CIA. And, that's what, yeah. and we have the connection with Indira Singh at J.P. Morgan that puts it together with this company. It's a software developer called P-Tech. 
that was a Pakistan run by Pakistani nationals whose primary investor was a Saudi prince who had been put on a terror watch list in October of 2001. And so, it, and and she also discovered Indira Singh did attested to the fact that it was she was told it was and in fact a CIA cutout. This was the information that she had. So it ties it all together. And this is back in 2004. When you say a cutout, describe to my listeners what what a cutout is. Sure. So the cutout would be a private company used to to run a CIA operation, and this is how they keep the arm's length from accountability for what happens or goes wrong with that operation. And so um, they they use these privately owned institutions, you know, they're blackmailing the owners or, you know, something around that. It's like, okay, this is a year, just like Jeffrey Epstein was set right. up. With, he, right. he, 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 nobody knows how he got that money, although I think there are some of us who have a pretty good idea and right. was set up to run that whole, um, you know, brownstone operation right. on his island. Right. And so that's what we think this P-Tech was. And, you know, the timing just lined right up. David Petraeus was convicted for mishandling classified information. It's the information that was for the war plan, these 12 books of war plans, I believe it was. And then we also have General Wesley Clark talking about the fact that right after 2001, the, uh, the 9-11, they developed this plan to invade seven countries in five years. And so um, David Petraeus was running a pay-to-play operation, it appears, selling sure. off these contracts to private companies like DynCorp or Purple uh, Shovel, Free Global. Uh, Global. Yep. So that they, you know, and then he was getting kickbacks for this. Sure, sure, and if they have this firing in Congress and all those intelligence committees and everything where they're probably discussing these war plans when they yes, come up, exactly. well, then they can, they can leak all that information so they have all the information on contracts that were offered and what, they were, what sums they were offered for so they can rig the contracts for other contractors by just telling them that information. This is well, what the other I, mean, I think I think we're in a time now where each of us is doing all of our communications through our mobile phones, our laptops, our iPads, all these devices that we carry with us. And if someone could intercept everything on your phone, on your computer, you know, we talk about emails, but I don't think it's limited to that. It's it's just every piece of data, and even if it was just the email. You're going to know almost everything about that person. I mean, you know. And also right. who they're communicating with. Right. Sure. Anyone and their they're friends and their family with. members. Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. And remember, it was Hillary Clinton, the Judicial Watch, by suing um, the Department of State, got some emails that showed Hillary Clinton specifically saying that she defied NSA recommendations against using a BlackBerry because they could not guarantee its security. She used it anyway and insisted other people use them. And then what it turns out, these are the the devices that were found in Andre Taggart's home. George Webb went to Andre Taggart's home and spoke with Andre Taggart, who he was renting that home from Imran Awan. 
Right. And it was Imran Awan who had left them behind. Andre Tagger turned those blackberries over to the FBI. These are the blackberries that James Comey was talking about in his um, address in July of last year. We know we have this evidence. It is not speculation. This has been well established. And uh, we, we're just wondering, you know, when somebody's going to produce these devices because um, there's, it's still not clear how many of them there are. It also appears that, in fact, not only was this CIA operation running using the Awans as, you know, to do the cutout, but then the Awans were running their own operations with these car dealerships where they were taking out fraudulent loans, and then all these home equity loans, they were all fraudulent from the Congressional Credit Union, and then they had the shipping companies and the... the um, what was it? The fit, the martial arts. Uh, yeah, you know, the, yeah. Body Gi company. So wait, they were wait. running their own operation, and it very it appears that in fact, not only were the ones working for the CIA and Clinton, because Clinton is very much tied directly to the CIA and what was going, because they used the foundation, the Clinton Foundation, to run a lot of these operations and the rat lines, like you said, that accompanied them. Right, so, right. And um, that goes all the way back to Mina, Arkansas, right, that airport in Arkansas, right. where they were running, right. you know, running you know guns what and I drugs there. I heard today that absolutely blew me away. Uh, I was speaking to a friend of mine from Nigeria, and she told me that the... Uh, the, the whole region in the north of Africa that's sort of, you know, adjacent to the Middle East is referred to as Mina, Middle East, North really? Africa. I didn't oh, know that. Wow. I didn't wow. know that until today. That's so, interesting. Uh, but so now the world knows what's going on. Operation. Go ahead, Ethelin. Pardon? Uh, not only were the Iwans running this operation for the CIA, but... It appears that they were also running their own spy operation where they were selling off state secrets. And right. so, you know, that's that. I, so I, it really gets murky in there trying, you know, trying to figure out who's doing what because it's all overlapping and they're, and, you know, they don't necessarily know what each other is doing, you know, with one, the CIA's covert operations aren't known about by anyone else and just like the FBI's aren't, but they could be bumping into each other along the way. So it's all just. You know what a what a mess, what a hot yeah. mess this yeah. is. Absolutely, <laughs> you know, and the, I think the hardest thing about this is that it is so complicated, and 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 it complicated yeah. it to to explain exactly what they are all doing on these rat lines, the car yeah. thefts, um, the organ harvesting. I mean, and this going yeah. on in the United States. I mean, it's been going on in all these other countries. That's what we do when we overthrow them. We go right in there and set up right. these rat lines. But now that it's all across the United States as well, um, yes. this is that how how do we get people to be made aware of this? It's also complicated, and there are so many crimes involved in this. Yeah, and that's when you know it was, it's interesting because um, one of the things that George Webb had said that uh, Cy Hirsch. Were, 
um, responded to him about this story was that it was too big. And, and yeah. you know, you just described why it's such a difficult story to tell. And so that's, you know, we're trying, that's what we're trying to do. What we're trying to help is to, is to help is to get it out to as many people as possible because it's just, again, you know, our numbers are our only, you know, uh, weapon here. <laughs> we have Strength in numbers, really, yeah. Yeah, we the, the, we have seen over and over and over again our justice system fail us, and we Absolutely. you know it's it's very discouraging. And so you know we just have to keep pressing forward and and uh, do what we can. But it's it's amazing to me, uh, you know, how it get as much as complicated as it is at one point. It, it invariably becomes more complicated within another week. So. Well, right, and you know, the bothersome to me to me about this is like, you know, having Charles Ortel on. Now, you know, he's been reporting on the Clinton Foundation and the fraud and all these things for a couple of years now, I think. Yeah, and, um, yeah. yes. You know, and, yes. and we get the message out and we uncover all this stuff, but nothing ever gets done about it. Yeah, you know, I mean, look you at know, the Clinton Evelyn, Foundations. That's all the donations, not only from taxpayers like down in Haiti and stuff they ripped off, but all, all the donations from everyday people that have donated to that right. foundation that they have ripped that's right. off. And you know, you know, Evelyn, that may be in fact how this whole um, system gets brought down because you know what I think. That on another broadcast, I described the Clinton Foundation sort of as the lifeblood of this. I mean, that's what allows it to function. Without this foundation infrastructure, and it's not just the Clinton Foundation, because this is how the Gates Foundation and all the others, and as well as this charity that was giving to the Clinton Foundation was not lawfully operating in Massachusetts. But, um, you know, they once they're held accountable just on a simple tax level, right. then the whole the whole thing implodes because either they have to get their money back when People the, donate. the Clinton Foundation, yes, or right. they have to pay taxes on it. So it will cripple them economically. And that always seems to be the easiest avenue to pursue when addressing this kind of corruption. And so, you know, hopefully we're, and Charles is actually getting very close to the White House. He has a lot of very good contacts, and we think that, you know, this information is getting through. And with just two appointments that Donald Trump can make today, that whole thing can happen. Just yeah, Charles is very, very uh, Charles is very hot on eliminating the current head of the IRS and and holding that person accountable and the for head what of are... the, yeah it's the head of the IRS and then also the one who does the charitable the tax exempt um, approval there there are yeah. two people in there mm-hmm. but so what we've done is you know we've created sort of a regular segment with Charles on Sundays. Uh, again, to kind of broaden the scope of what we're doing while simultaneously being more focused. Broaden the scope by bringing in more crowdsourced community members like Charles, like 
uh, all the people that Trish and I have been describing, and more focused in that we don't want to just you know shoot out evidence necessarily. We want to be kind of a repository for people to bring evidence to. And uh, you know there are certain members of the community that are proving to be excellent sources of intelligence. Other members of the community that are proving to be very very good at assessing that intelligence, doing further research on that, and kind of you know honing it down into something that we can actually do something about. And I think that really, again, not to come back to Robert David Steele, because I, I do love to come back to the fact that he seems to have committed fraud, <laughs> but it's a great example of the crowdsourced community coming together and really taking action against right. something. Because right. we see that even, even when uh, trial lawyers like the firm of Beck and Lee, who are armed with the full force of the law of the United States go up against a, a behemoth like the DNC. There's there's all these nuances and all these little uh, caveats that can that can prevent the result that we want. And I mean, in the case of Robert David Steele, Joe Napoli, and you know, Joe really was the tip of the spear on this. But Joe Napoli was one of the first to really kind of come together, figure out how to get his money back, call us up, come on the show, tell people about it, and then we started getting a lot of emails from people. I mean, I didn't just decide one day that we're going to go after Robert David Steele. It was in response to essentially, to borrow one of George's terms, the frequency analysis. You know, a lot of people were saying, hey, I'm mad that this guy took my money and seems to be a fraud. And as we proceeded down that road, more and more people came forward with more evidence. And what we're seeing is, you know, Robert David Steele in demonstrating evidence that he's committed fraud, that's something that we can take on. And when we succeed with that, either by having him be criminally prosecuted, which would be wonderful, or simply just eliminating his effectiveness and being able to perpetrate frauds in the future, that's a win. Right. And yeah. we can build on that ability by adding more people to the crowdsourced community, by making our investigations and our uh, pursuit of truth to be based on evidence and facts. Well, that's how we vet our people. We've had people come to us who uh, members of the crowdsourced community have questions, and they've offered valid questions. And when those questions can't be answered with strong evidence or proof, well, you know, there's your answer right there. Well, sir, and now this, now I'll tell you, um, Attorney Beck. Well, I'll tell you that that little spiel that he went on when he was interviewed. He said everything that I, that I feel like about how corrupt this country is and Absolutely. how bad it is, and, and these wars, you know, going and killing everybody. And, and he pointed out using our tax dollars to do it, and we can't do anything to stop it. I mean, yeah. And, yeah. and that's it with the, that that lawsuit now. Were they were they going after the money like like I tell people, all the people that donated to Bernie and I probably even have some relatives that did was supporting him, that, that do they understand that their money was stolen by the Clinton Foundation? Or by well, the DNC? Go ahead, Jason. That's just it. That's a, it's a class action lawsuit on behalf of the donors because it was uh you know, the DNC did not run a fair primary. primary. Right. In violation of their own bylaws. Right. Sure, but didn't they, didn't they also steal a lot of Bernie's donations and switch them over to Hillary? Well, we're going to have to ask Elizabeth if that came into play in their lawsuit. I'm not sure about that. We'd have to go back to the interview that uh, George and I did with 
with the Becks, uh, but we can ask her tonight if it got into all the act blues. I seem to remember that it maybe didn't touch on that. I it don't mostly... believe it did. Yeah. It was more process. It was. I think oh. it was focused very much on the process. Because so, I would think that but, those people have a right to go get that money back from the DNC. They let that happen. Well, and the That's judge the did say that he believed that the underlying premise of the lawsuit, which was that Bernie Sanders supporters were, in fact, defrauded, was valid. So, but yeah, he dismissed it anyway. It literally is like James Comey reading off Hillary Clinton's many and long list of crimes <laughs> and then saying, yeah. but, you know, we're not going to do anything. Well, you know, in, in preparation for our interview with Elizabeth today, I've been watching a lot of different videos, and she and Jared have been on a bunch of different shows over the past few days. And it's interesting, you know, obviously when it first happened, they were very upset, and they didn't have uh, a lot of information necessarily. They didn't have uh, enough time to evaluate their position necessarily. And um, now that they have had a few days to go over it, I am hearing some input that uh, – that this isn't a total loss and that it does sort of set them up for their next move uh, in terms of uh, establishing that it, that it, you know, that it, it was. Refiling the case. Right, like right, it, right. It looks so. like it's still alive to some yes. extent. Right. So Dismissed without prejudice, yeah. Yes, exactly. And, so and he said that the underlying um, allegation was valid. And we're also going to be bringing in, as I mentioned, another attorney to get his perspective. And again, it's you know we're not doing that to uh, uh, entrap anyone or you know, set any particular agenda. It's just we want to get as much input as possible. Uh, we we had a, a guy on who turned out to be not such a nice guy, a guy by the name <laughs> of Bill Warner, and we brought him on not because we wanted to promote his agenda or his evidence over any other evidence, but just because. I felt that if someone's got an alternative perspective or uh, different data, different evidence, we should look at that. And if the guy's correct, we'll add that to everything that we're reviewing. And if the guy's incorrect, we'll point that out. But it's, it's all about the evidence. It's all about, you know, I, I had a phone call with uh, an Amtrak detective. And, you know, the guy called me up out of nowhere and said he's an Amtrak detective and started uh -huh. telling me all kinds of things about how the auto train would be difficult to use for transporting stolen cars. And it wasn't about right. disproving a theory that the auto train was used to transport stolen cars. It was about taking in this guy's evidence, evaluating what he had to say, and, uh, and trying to figure it out. Because we don't want to just pile on incorrect information. We want to evaluate everyone's input, and if it's correct, we add it to the good evidence pile. If it's incorrect, we take, <laughs> take it out of the equation. So, you know, it's, it's certainly possible that the Amtrak detective was wrong. It's interesting to me that so many of the comments are people saying things like, oh, this is Mr. Hudson. This guy's not an Amtrak detective. He's definitely not Mr. Hudson. I'm not getting actors right. on the phone to put false information in there. That would be an idiotic waste of time. And then people who fall back on the theory that I'm just doing this to make money, you know, that would be a motivation for injecting actors in here if I was making money from doing it or if I thought that was a way to make money. But that's not why I'm doing it. We're not making any money. It's been a, a losing proposition so far. It's been an investment from day one up until now. And eventually it, it will, I hope, become a valuable resource that will have a large enough audience that the 
community-supported business model will allow it to uh, thrive and sustain and and be really a real make service. A yeah, be yeah. a real service to people in terms of you know being something that's trusted, not just like you know something like Snopes, where a guy and his cat say, "Hey, this is true, this is false." <laughs> people right. think that something is false that we're saying, or that someone that we're representing as a witness, if there's some sort of problem with that person, we're not looking for guesses, we're not looking for estimates, we're looking for hard evidence. And I well, know. but we welcome, I mean, if someone has, can make an educated guess to point us in a direction, then certainly well, right. that's a value. But, in other words, but, so. but just saying, oh, that guy is Mr. Hudson, that's not an educated guess. Yes. That's nonsense. Yes. And I know for well, a fact it's not true. So that doesn't well, help. Right, right. And the no, great thing about... Listeners, you know, for my listeners that don't know what, what we're talking about with these trains, they were, they're moving um, stolen cars and, and things. Right. Train, well, right? that's the allegation. But we now seem to see, first of all, a detective from Amtrak who says, no, now, the detective could be correct. He could be incorrect. Well, he stated a lot of things that make a lot of sense. You've got to have somebody on the train. That's inconvenient. You've got to it along with a lot stolen of money. Car. That's inconvenient. Well, yeah, move, well, the other, yeah, and I think, but to Evelyn, I think what you're asking about is, like, this was part of the Awan um, operation where we think that they were selling these cars. There was a close to high-end car that was going to countries primarily like Nigeria and northern Africa for diplomatic level, you know, individuals. And then it turns out there are also these other cars, more like Toyota trucks that do well in the, on the terrain of the Mideast that are being shipped out and turned up in the hands of terrorists. Right. right. That's a very is, big business, and that's what this, that's what that part of the investigation was into, and that's how we wound up. George theorized that it was uh, going; they were going on the trains, and so we had this expert who, um, on uh, auto theft ring, join us for. Well, program. again, a purported expert. It's, oh, there's right, a right. number of things that he's done that, in my estimation display highly unprofessional behavior. So maybe he's not such a good expert. But again, you know, we're, we're, we're not necessarily saying that everything that we put on here is correct. We present information, and it's there to be scrutinized. Right. We want, exactly. we want to get to the best answer. It's, it's very possible that uh, Bill Warner is nothing more than a cranky old man who's injected into this situation <laughs> to obfuscate the truth. But by examining what he has to say, that gives us an opportunity to determine, is he speaking truthfully? Or is he not? And that same scrutiny should be applied to everyone, you know. Uh, and that's people. the beauty of that, of, you know, like the crowdsourced community is that right. you, can, you can't you can lie. I mean, you might get away with it for a little while. But it's going to get figured right, out. Right. Yeah, people are going to figure you out. And that and it, it helps to keep us all, you know, on our game so that we're constantly questioning and evaluate, reevaluating. Because that's the other thing, Evelyn, and you know, is that, there are people who can be, they're called limited hangouts, who are very helpful at first and, you know, seem to be on your team. And then at a critical moment, they'll sabotage you. So it's like, you know, you're constantly having to reassess sort of your standing on every level. Right. Oh, right. And it's interesting. Sorry, go ahead. No. No, I was done. <laughs> 
I was just going to say, I, I love that term that Trish just brought up, the limited hangout, because it actually comes from Watergate. And it was uh, taken directly from the Nixon tapes, where you know Nixon expressed to, I think, John Haldeman that he was nervous having all this information just hanging out. And Haldeman suggests that, well, you know, if we control the information that gets hung out, we can put out, you know, this bit of bad information or this bit of strong evidence and then hold back the really, really damaging evidence. And it could be this sort of limited hangout. So that's the idea is that, you know, someone comes to you and says, hey, you know, uh, I happen to know that, you know, person X broke into this house and look, here's a photograph of him breaking in. And then they right. befriend you and gain your trust specifically to hide a more damaging piece of evidence later. So, or discredit it because right, they have right. your trust. You would believe them if they discredited it. Right, right, right. So, you know, it's well, an interesting world of interest. I want to take the time to thank you again for, for coming on the show again. I mean, I. You have the latest details on all of this. I mean, you and you, Jason and Trish and, and George, deserve a Pulitzer Prize for this investigation. I'm telling you, it has uncovered and is disclosing scandal hundred times worse than Watergate. And if you didn't have this crowdsource, the truth, how do we get this information out to the public? The mainstream media is still blocking this information, getting out to the public. And and I think the Congress is going to collapse any minute. And the mainstream and the people in America won't even know what happened. <laughs> well, certainly our goal is not to collapse the government, but to expose criminals in the government and to give people an honest source of news, something that's not manipulated by wealthy corporations or wealthy advertisers yeah. or people that might not have your best interests at heart. And, and that's why we're focused on the community-supported business model, the community-supported information model, where, you know, this, this is information coming from people who start out as viewers and listeners and community members and come forward and say, hey, I happen to know something about this particular crime happening in this particular city, or I have a friend, I have a relative, I myself was involved in this or that. And they share their information with us. That's great. Well, thank you so much for coming on, and, and we'll have you on probably not next week because Monday's a holiday. So. Uh, well, we'll see you soon, Ellen. Thanks very much. Okay, thank, thank you. Thank you, Ellen. Take care. Okay, thanks, people. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Next week's the holidays, so we won't have a show. Thank you. Tune in. Bye. I feel so helpless and confused. Because I hear screaming on the left, yelling on the right. I'm sitting in the middle trying to live my life. I can't do it.